Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift we have of the words of the prophet Isaiah, that even though he spoke so many years ago, that they are still relevant for us today and they still encourage us to follow you and be faithful to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you may help us to understand what Isaiah wrote so many years ago and that we may be able to be encouraged by what he said. Give us much of your Holy Spirit's presence this morning and may he guide our hearts to follow you more faithfully. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, have you ever worked on something really hard and then found it was wasted effort? That all that work that you did didn't actually yield any fruit? I often think of this, uh, this kind of situation when I am uh, repairing computers, repairing the actual hardware or repairing just the problem that is going on within the computer, the operating system. I can spend hours trying to work out why this particular error is coming up, trying to diagnose it, do internet searches as to what is the problem and how I can solve it. And in the end, sometimes if it's a fairly serious problem, I get to a point where I just go, that's enough. And the time that I would spend to try and solve the problem is not to be compared to the time to reformat the entire computer hard drive, reinstall the operating system, and be back up and running within it. It usually takes me three hours to be back up with a, a regular system, that I just completely wipe the entire thing. The whole project is gone. Uh, and I'm just so sick of spending all this time and effort invested into something that is yielding no fruit. The computer just simply is not working. Working. Today we're going to look at an example of hard work not paying off, and that's given to us in the book of Isaiah. We come back to Isaiah after Easter. Uh, we've worked through Isaiah before. We got up to the end of chapter 4, and so now we've come to Isaiah chapter 5. And here is an example of hard work not yielding any fruit. And so my first main point this morning is the farmer and his vineyard. We're firstly going to look at this farmer and his vineyard. And so we read in verse 1 about this farmer and his vineyard. It says in verse 1, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. So here we have a farmer and he's making a vineyard. It's going to take a lot of hard work and so we see him doing all this hard work. He, he picks a good spot on a fertile hillside. He then, what does he do in verse 2? He digs it up, digs the ground up and clears it of stones, gets out those nasty rocks that are taking up space there and uh, stopping the roots from going down. He digs them up, gets them out, and then plants it with choice vines, the choicest vines. So he makes sure that he's got good plants going there in this vineyard. He hasn't got just um, scraggly ones from out of the bush. No, he's made sure he's got ones that are good value. And then what does he do? He builds a watchtower in it. In verse 2, he built a watchtower in it so that you can keep an eye on what's going to be happening to your vineyard, uh, so that if enemies come and want to take your grapes, if you just abandon your vineyard and let it grow and, and aren't there very often, uh, people can come and take advantage. And so you get a watchtower, so you can keep a watch out for anyone coming, and also animals. You can uh, see that particular animals are in the distance coming up, and so you can get down and scare them away so that they won't eat your grapes. So he does that as well, and he cuts out a wine press as well. So he makes a storage place for 
the grapes and for the wine that is produced from those grapes. And it's interesting, it says he cuts a wine press out. So he would have made one out of rock. So there would have been on a, it's on a hillside. So he's got a, a wine press that has been very, very difficult to make. He's cut it out of the rock, but it's a permanent structure that he's making there. So he's investing a lot into this vineyard. He's not just having it one year and that will be it. He's wanting this to be a permanent structure that's going on here, a permanent vineyard for him. He's cut out of the rock this wine press for the wine that comes from the grapes from his fruitful vines. So he works very hard, this farmer, with his vineyard. What else does he do? After he's worked very hard, what does he expect? Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. And that's reasonable. He's done all this hard work. He's dug out the ground. He's dug out the wine press. He's erected that watchtower. He's worked very hard. And so he looks out for grapes to enjoy from his vineyard. And what does he find? This farmer, then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. He didn't get good grapes, he only got bad fruit from these, this vine. And so the question is asked to the people listening to this, this parable from Isaiah. It's asked in verse 3, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? He shouldn't have had bad grapes from this vineyard. He worked very hard for it. And what more could he have done? What has he left out? He's worked so hard, and it's right that he should expect some fruit from his labours, that he should get good fruit. So why is he only getting bad fruit, is the question. And so what does he do? He gets only bad fruit. What does he want to do to this vineyard? What does he do? Well, he destroys the vineyard. In verse 5 we see... Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. He probably had let a hedge grow up and it would have been a hedge of um, something with thorns on it to keep wild animals out, to keep animals away. And so he's going to remove that hedge. So it's equivalent of taking away a barbed wire fence um, to keep the the bad animals out. No, um, he's going to take that away so that the... The, the vine is going to be destroyed. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall and it will be trampled. It also had a wall around it. But now he's going to remove that. So things that aren't even interested in the vine will walk through and trample over it. It's kind of like um, if you don't have a fence around your property. People love to take shortcuts through it. I have a fence in Kennedy House out the front there. But I still have people take shortcuts through it. There's the kid couple doors over and when he comes over to play with Josh he just hops people the neighbor's fence and tramples through their yard and uh, and gets over to Josh he can't be bothered to go out along the footpath if I didn't have a fence he'd do it even more he'd be back and forth all the time uh, to get to where he wants to go to school he just sort of cut past our front uh, yard and I don't mind so much because all I'm growing is grass I haven't got a single plant in my front yard other than grass but this is a precious vineyard that the farmers uh, meant to be getting uh, good grapes from. And so now he's taking the wall away so that every Tom, Dick and Harry can trample through his vineyard and every animal that wants to come in and have a feast can come, whether it's a domesticated animal, whether it's a wild animal, it will come through and destroy the vineyard. 
And what else does he do? Takes away the hedge, takes away the wall, and it will be trampled. And then verse 6, I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. I'm not going to look after it anymore. And briars and thorns will grow there. He'll let weeds come up that take away the nutrients of the soil, take away the water, so the vineyard, uh, the vines start to die off because they just lack uh, the nutrition that they deserve. And he will even command the clouds not to rain on it. He won't water it anymore. So, what is the meaning of this story? It's very clear, there's this farmer with his vineyard. Why does God go on about this farmer and his vineyard? What's the point of the story? What's the moral of the story? Well, my second main point indicates what the moral of the story is, and that is that God is the farmer and the vineyard is Israel. God is the farmer and the vineyard is Israel. We see that in verse 7. Isaiah himself tells us the meaning of the parable. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty, so God is the, uh, is the one who owns the vineyard, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. This is a story about God and Israel. God is the farmer and Israel is the vineyard. And this is true. When we start to look at the the parable and see what the farmer did for the vineyard, we see that God did the same things for Israel. God chose a fertile land. He chose the land of Canaan, a good, promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He chose that for his people. He dug up the vineyard by creating cities for the people there. When Israel came in, the cities were already built for them. And he cleared the land of stones by removing the enemies from the land of Canaan. So the hostile forces that were there were no longer there. God, the Israelite army did conquer the people, but it was God's strength that did it. He cleared the land of stones and he planted a choice vine. He went to Egypt, got Israel and brought them and planted them in the land of Canaan. He chose them, a choice vine, and brought them over to Canaan. He also built watchtowers to protect them. How did he do that? Well, he gave them prophets to tell them how they could stay in the right paths and avoid punishment. He gave them prophets with the word of God. He gave them Moses, who gave them the law. He blessed them greatly so that they would have a watchman who could tell them when they were doing the wrong thing and when enemies were coming and what to watch out for, to watch out for the pagan gods of the other cultures around them. He gave them prophets. He gave them priests. So they have the sacrificial system. What is the point of the sacrificial system? To remove the wrath of God. As they sin, which they inevitably do, God is angry with them. God is a God of wrath against sin. And the sacrificial system, offering an animal to die in your place, removes the wrath of God, appeases God, so he's not wrathful against you anymore. And he also gives them kings, prophet, priests, and kings. Kings to protect them from enemies around them. Gives them civil government to look after them as the vineyard that he loves and cherishes so much. And God, we see, is like this farmer because he looks for fruit. He doesn't do all the work and then just leave it. He looks for fruit from Israel. Again and again, he looks at Israel and assesses them for what they are doing. He looks for fruit to delight in them. And what is the fruit that he wants from them? Well, we see it in verse 7. 
halfway through verse 7. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. God wanted justice as a fruit from the people of Israel, and he wanted righteousness from them as their fruit. But what does he find? He finds only bad fruit. He finds bloodshed. He finds cries of distress. God is like the farmer in that he finds bad fruit instead of good fruit there. And the question that the farmer asks could be asked by God. What more could be done? Back in verse 4, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? I looked after you, Israel. What more did you want? What more could I have done for you? And the answer is nothing more. I did everything for you and you only yielded bad fruit. So, is God going to be like that farmer? Did God act like that farmer when he saw that there was only bad fruit? What did the farmer do again? He destroyed the vineyard. And that's what God did to Israel. He destroyed Israel. He took away its hedge and its wall, the, the ways of protecting it that he gave, a prophet, priest, and king. He took away the prophets so there was silence from God. He took away the priests so that they weren't or they were corrupt priests. They weren't there or they were corrupt priests and that they weren't able to offer the right sacrifices anymore. Sometimes in Israelite history, the temple starts to go particularly desolate. And then, of course, it is destroyed when the Babylonian army comes in. And that is the only place that right sacrifices could be offered. He took away the whole priesthood system when that temple was destroyed. And he took away the kings. No king anymore. You've got the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He's your king now. And he's not looking out for you, Israel. He's looking out for himself and his own empire. He's taken away that hedge, that wall that he had around them. And so the reign of blessing is not upon Israel anymore. So we see God is clearly that farmer and Israel is clearly the vineyard that is spoken of there. What about for us today? Is there any application? Is God still a farmer and is there still a vineyard today? Is God still acting in this way and is there still a vineyard that is acting in this way? Well, yes. My third main point this morning is that God is still the farmer and the vineyard is the world. God is still the farmer and the vineyard is the world. God still works very hard for humanity. He chooses a fertile land by creating you and giving you good life. Every person that is born is a fertile person, a person who is made in the image of God and is a blessing. Children are never a curse. They're always a blessing. They are God's representatives here on earth. They are fertile people, rich people. If you are alive, you are a rich person because you are one of God's representatives here on earth. God still works hard by bringing you into this world and he digs up the vineyard by blessing you with good things. He doesn't just bring you into the world, but he gives you food, he gives you clothing, he gives you shelter, and then he gives you a whole bunch of other things, particularly if you live in Australia. 
that you don't actually need. You don't need a computer. People survived for millennium without computers. You don't need air conditioning. You don't need cars. Those things are not necessities, but God digs them up and blesses you with them as the vineyard that he is caring for, looking after. He clears away stones by taking bad things out of your life. He restrains you even from your own sinful stones in you. Man is very rarely as bad as he could be. You are not as evil as you could be because of God's restraint in your life. God holds you back from many, many sins every day and that is him removing stones from your life, looking after you as a vineyard. And he gives you a watchtower and walls of protection around you. He gives you prophets, people who proclaim the word of God, the very words of God, to instruct you on what is an enemy and what is a friend, what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. He gives you a priest, the greatest priest of all, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. The sacrifices in the Old Testament that were a blessing to Israel never really took away sin. They simply pointed to the one sacrifice that would, Jesus Christ, and God gave him to the world. God sent his one and only son into this world to die for you and your sin. He's looking after you by sending his son. And he gives you protection through civil authorities, kings. He gave Israel prophet, priest and king. He gives you prophet, priest and king. He gives you people who tell you about the word of God. He gives you copies of the word of God. It is such a blessing to have a copy of the Bible. So many people, we're one of the few generations that have possessed copies of the word, personal copies and even multiple copies. You've got it right there. You've got the priest in Jesus offering that sacrifice of his body on the cross as your substitute for sin, and you've got civil authorities around you. Sometimes they're not that crash hot, but in Australia they are pretty decent. You may like to criticise the politicians, but they're not all that bad. If you don't like it, move to a country in the Middle East. You know, you have civil authorities, and even the countries in the Middle East, they do protect people to some extent. They may not protect you in the same rights and authorities that they have here today. But they do offer protections. And God gives you that as part of his vineyard, civil authorities, to try and reduce crime, to try and reduce the enemies that are in your life. And God still expects fruit. He is still a farmer today because he makes a vineyard and he is still a farmer today because he expects fruit from the vineyard that he creates. He expects good fruit Justice and righteousness, just like he expected from the Israelites. But does God find that good fruit today? No. He often finds bad fruit instead. People refusing to be righteous, refusing to act justly. They reject God instead and produce bad fruit. And so the question is asked, just like it was asked in the time of Isaiah, what more could the farmer do? What does he say in verse 4? What more could have been done for my vineyard 
than I have done for it. What more could God do for you so that you would produce good fruit? He sent his one and only son. He sent God himself to die for you. What more do you want him to give you so that you will produce good fruit? Is there anything more God could do for you to produce good fruit instead of bad fruit? There's nothing more God could do. The responsibility lies on you as a vineyard. Produce good fruit. How do you do that? How do you produce good fruit? Well, firstly, acknowledge the blessings of God to you. Acknowledge that he is the one who has created you as his vineyard. And then repent of your sins, of producing bad fruit so consistently for so long, and start producing good fruit. How do you do that? By producing justice and righteousness. How do you do that? You can't do it in yourself. We're consistently unrighteous all the time. How do you get justice and righteousness? How do you bear good fruit? You get it from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the righteousness, that the only righteousness that God will accept. You need to believe that at the cross, your unrighteousness, all your bad fruit was going over to Jesus and all his good fruit, all his righteousness was coming over to you. And so when God looks for good fruit on you as his vine, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And then he is pleased with the righteousness that is in you because it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he is very happy with the works of his son being credited to your account. You are producing good fruit if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus' death for yourself. Then automatically... You are a vine that's producing good fruit. And then, do you just leave it at that? No, you carry on believing and you start doing what is right. You start living a righteous life. You start behaving in the right and proper way that God wants you to. You start living for him and stop living for yourself. And that is good fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is a good start of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're all excellent fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Start producing them. Or otherwise, what will happen? Will God be like the farmer that is spoken of in Isaiah? Yes, he will. He will destroy the vineyard. The vines that do not produce fruit are cut down and thrown into the fire. The Bible speaks of it again and again. He takes away the blessings in your life. Sometimes he does it in this life. He lets enemies come. He lets sickness come over you. He takes away the blessings and then eventually he takes you out of this world and all the blessings that are here and takes you to be destroyed for eternity in hell. That's what God does if you don't produce good fruit. Let me warn you this morning. Be vines that produce good fruit. Trust in Jesus Christ 
and then act accordingly, produce fruit, or otherwise you will be destroyed. And you won't be able to say on that day when God judges you, God, you could have done this, this and this, and then I would have produced good fruit. God has done everything for you. What more could he do for you? You're without excuse. Trust in him. Believe in Jesus Christ and start producing good fruit right now. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of your word that reminds us of how blessed we are, that you have worked so hard for us. You have given us life. You have given us so many blessings. You have sheltered us by giving us your word, by giving us people who instruct us in it, by giving us your one and only son if we will accept him. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room will be vines that produce good fruit. May they not say that God could have done something else, but may they accept that you have done everything and that the responsibility is now upon them. And may they want to produce good fruit. May they fear to be destroyed. And so may they start to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ's righteousness for them and so start producing the fruit of the Spirit. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.